Welcome to the Data-Led Podcast, brought to you by InnerTrends. This podcast is dedicated to helping folks become data-led to build better products and experiences. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode on the Data-Led Podcast. Today, we'll be talking about why data is critical for proactive customer success proactive customer success. I love that. So let me tell you a few of the questions that we'll want to address today. How do you define a customer, especially in a B2B environment? What is proactive customer success? It sounds sexy, but what is it? What does customer success need in terms of data? Where does the customer success data sit in in the organization? Last but not least, what is the recipe for disaster in a customer success platform implementation? And like we got you used with, we have a special guest today. A friend of mine I met many years ago, and I remember very clearly the first time I met Philip Wolf, founder of Castify. He was, we were somewhere backstage in a dark room. And the reason I remember that meeting so well was his passion for data-led customer success. He was just about to start Castify. And today Castify is an established company, a well-known customer success platform. And it's an honor to have Philip joining us today talking about data-led customer success. So hi, Philip. How are you today? Claudio, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm in perfect shape. Great to hear that. So let's just dive in directly. Hey, Philip, what is proactive customer success? It sounds amazingly sexy, but what is it? Well, actually, I think the term customer success itself um, already implies proactiveness. So um, this uh, it's kind of an enforcement of the, of the customer success term itself, I would say. In, in general, the concept of customer success is to be proactive with your customer. That means I'm not going to wait until the problem accelerates or until the problem actually is, uh, is making my customer leaving me or making my customer not having a proper onboarding experience with me. Um, but I'm proactively getting in touch with the customer. That means I'm typically looking at data to come back to the uh, data-led approach here. So I'm looking at data and based on the data, I can say that this customer needs my help right now the most. So I'm reaching out proactively, I'm getting in touch proactively with the customer, and I'm trying to solve this problem together with him before he's actually reaching out to my support department, telling me that he has a problem. And especially telling him that you already fixed it, because that's the best part of it, right? <laughs> that that would be, of course, an ideal scenario. Sometimes that is uh, not possible. Uh, sometimes you need the customer to work with you. For example, in the onboarding, there is uh, many of the times not something that you can really do in order to to fix it. It's not your product. It's not uh, it's not your fault, so to say. But it's the customer's turn to do something in the product. But very often of the times, the customer might not understand the things that he needs to do in order to get the first value from the product. That can be because your product is quite complex. That can be because your product is not yet so mature that you have an entire onboarding flow there or guided onboarding there. Um, so it depends a lot on the majority of the product, on the business model that you have. But either way, um, it can happen that the customer doesn't really understand what are the next steps and you will help him proactively to, to get there. So yeah, fixing, fixing a problem that actually occurs on your, pro, uh, on your product or reaching out and saying, hey, I understood that you have done this and this and this. However, to get the full 
out of our, the full value out of our product, you would also need to do this. Maybe we can do it together. Um, so this, uh, this could be an approach, or you send an email, hey, this is a knowledge article uh, that we have published on our knowledge base. Why don't you go there and uh, have a quick look? This is how you set this specific part up, whatever is missing uh, there. So it means to be in touch with the customer with the right message at the right time, how I would uh, like to phrase it usually. I love that because it means your focus is on solutions to problems that you see that the customer is having without actually the customer writing to you. So like when the customer writes to you, they know I have a problem, help me fix it. That's you being reactive. Uh, while when you see in the data, the customer has a problem, you go and investigate and you get as much data as possible about the problem of the customer. And y if you can fix it automatically in the product, it's amazing. You just write to the customer and you say, hey, the problem was fixed. Or if you have a solution, you just communicate to the problem, like this is what needs to happen when the customer is basically on his own, back on his path to, towards success, because customer success, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. And ideally, not in a too creepy way, because, uh, of course, you don't want to, uh, you don't want to, let's say, the customer clicks some button and something doesn't work. And one minute later, he has a text message on his phone like, hey, I saw you try to download something. Um, maybe you click this other button instead. So that would be a little bit creepy. So, um, of course, you, you, you want to do that in the, in the most uh, kind of human touch as possible. I remember from my previous business, we used to do that a lot. Like we, uh, we had these issues when the customers would uh, often click on a wrong button or often uh, not do a setting in the product. And it was very clear that they didn't want that. And we had algorithms on our data that will automatically, the first thing when we woke in the morning was not to look at the dashboard, but rather on what the algorithm told us that should be fixed. And we would always reach out to customers and say, hey, we did that. Uh, we saw that you wanted to publish, but it wasn't published because there was a setting. We published it for you. Oh my God. Like they were so happy when we did that because we saved them from unpleasant situations. So definitely, um, very valuable. But while we are at this, I want to go a bit into a definition of a customer because when we in, in the data space, we, we like to label things. Right? When we want to have things very clear, what is a customer, especially in a B2B environment where multiple people are involved? The bad news is that, that uh, despite I understand that you want to label this, it's not always as easy. The, the good news is that given our experience and we work primarily with B2B SaaS companies, the majority of the cases, it's rather simple. So you have this typical company user structure, right? So I'm selling to Innertrends, so that's the company, that's the account, and then there's Clodio, and there's probably uh, five other users within this account, and they can use the application. That's the, I would say, like two-thirds of the, of the cases where this, is, uh, where this is the case. And then in typical customer success um, approaches, the definition of a customer is the account, and the definition of a user is Claudio, for example. That's the majority of cases. That's the default uh, setup here. And we do something, we measure health. Like we call this health scores and customer success terms. In the data world, you will simply call them KPIs. Uh, so that's that's nothing else than KPIs that you measure that you have defined with together with your product team or um, um, uh, with the management as this is what a successful customer looks like. So they have to log in twice per week. They have to use this feature once a week and so forth. They have to publish this article, as you mentioned this as an example, at least once per week. Whatever is necessary to get constant value of your product, of your service. 
um, those are the KPIs around it. And then we measure, okay? We measure each client. How, how well does this client actually compete against these KPIs? How much value does this client get? And in this majority of the cases, these health scores are done on the company level, on the account level, on inner trend level, right? And uh, it doesn't really matter so much if Claudio does some actions there or if Philip does some action there. As long as for the account overall, the benefit is there and the value is there, that's good. That's the default case. Then we have some B2C environments or B2B, but actually it's B2C. So a practical example is when you, when you have very small businesses uh, as your customers, like uh, hair salons, restaurants, where you have typically one user and this is the only user, or they might have one to other users, but they not really use the product so much. So you have kind of more of a B2C environment, also from your pricing structure, uh, also from your customer acquisition point of view, and then you tend towards a more B2C environment. Then it starts to not get so clear anymore. So who is who? Who is your? Who is it? What's the definition of a customer? Is it Claudio or is it still Innotrends? Is it that? Is it that restaurant? Is it uh, Pizzeria or is it uh, Luigi as a as the, the primary user? So then it gets a bit blurry there, and then it can get even let's say more complicated. For example, we have some customers that are uh, that their business model is transactional business model. So yes, you can like let's say like Uber or something. So you you enter the car, you drive, you pay, and uh, Uber still wants you obviously to have a lot of rides. So it's kind of a subscription, but it's not a subscription that I pay per month. It's just I want the user to come back all the time. And we have quite some customers that are based on these uh, transactional based uh, business models. And for them, the health score itself is tied very much typically towards the transaction itself. As coming back to the story of Uber, I mean. Your the the success or not success of you coming back to Uber is very much tied to this specific ride. Like if you have a great experience, the likelihood you come back is high. So um, then it becomes a little bit more blurry. What does uh, the customer is still clear? It's still like Philip entering into the car, but the measuring of the success of the product is not so clear anymore because it's actually this transaction. And multiple examples, like we have like a, a signature tool that is used for from lawyers to to sign certain transactions, and multiple lawyers are involved, and they pay per transaction. So they pay, they would pay for uh, for signing such a document, and the. Experience is also tied towards this particular experience. So, yeah, the, the majority of the cases is clear, but then it gets a bit more blurry, and um, and we 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 know that because we work with a lot of those customers. So, if one of the listeners is in such an environment, that is um, something you can still work out, but you might not. Uh, be able to use the standard definition, let's say. But what's very important for everyone is to have a definition. Because uh, if you are like in a standard scenario, company user, and you are doing customer success at user level, you might get into a lot of weird situations, yeah? And you don't want that. So I think the bottom line here is you want to have that clear definition inside your company, what is a customer. You might have it easy, you might have it more complex, but you do need to have it. But while we are at it, like we, let's say you defined for your business what a customer is. It's very clear and you start collecting data. You went, like you said, you went to the product team and say, hey, let's put our data together and let's do stuff together. So we measure that health score, what you, what you product call KPI, we will call health scores. Uh, let's start measuring it. But then it gets a little bit complicated. Who owns the data? Is it product data? Is it customer success data? What does it happen with it? What, where, where, what data does customer success need and where does it sit in the organization? 
Yeah, so they, this is a great question, and this is one of the primary questions that we solve when we onboard new customers, asking those questions. So typically, product data is the most important source. Because without the product data, I'm not uh, be I'm, I'm not going to be able to measure this KPI that we just talked about, this health scores. So this is really essential. I'm also not able to tell whether or not someone is successful in the onboarding or not. Like if they are stuck in the onboarding, I cannot tell that without having product data. For customer success, typically there's the product data that is really really essential. But then there are also other factors that uh, tie into this overall health of the customer. For example, support data. How many support tickets are there? What's the content of those support tickets? Were they solved in time? Were they escalated? Are they blocking issues? And no, it doesn't mean that uh, no support tickets is a good sign. That's actually typically a, a bad sign. But this is an important piece in the puzzle, like what's happening in support. Because even though you have proactive customer success, the customer will most likely, in many cases, still have also support questions and uh, reactive questions that reach your organization. So support is one important um, piece in the data puzzle here. Then sales, CRM data. So that depends, of course, again, on the on the business model. But as soon as you have a sales team involved in your customer acquisition and it's not a self-serve product, you typically have information in the CRM, such as information that the sales team gathered throughout the conversations before they close the deal. What things to consider? Who is the champion in this uh, organization? Who is the who, who actually pays for it? Who is the who is the user who has the credit card in behind? Who is the implementation guy that helps you to get your product up and running and so forth? So there's this personas and there's this information in the CRM, which is depending on how you define your customer success team. But many often of the times, what we see is that they handle also onboardings. Sometimes they have a special onboarding team that is part of success, but still uh, this information in the CRM is very critical besides the product data. And then we go more into the billing accounting. When is the renewal date? What's the MRR of this customer? Were there any problems with payments? If you have a monthly subscription, like do you frequently see problems in, the, in charging this credit card? What are upsell opportunities here, like uh, these kind of things. So um, that accounting slash financial data um, is also quite relevant. So you have typically these four pillars of like product, CRM, sales, support, and um, the financial the financial aspect of the customer. And depending on your organization, these data, uh, they lie in different systems. Some of our customers have them very organized. Some others have them in four different systems, and all those four systems are not connected. This is kind of the hardest case when you have no unique identifier and you have some data in your billing tool that is absolutely not connected with your own product data and your own database, and that is, again, not connected to your CRM. Then you need to do some homework first and basically connect uh, these systems or introduce a unique identifier that can be used across the systems and so forth. So I would say that's where the data uh, lies well, that's the data that's typically relevant for from a customer success perspective. So the beauty of this is that, and I think that actually applies to everything. We we at Innotrends being very much into the product have the same thing. We also want all the data that has any influence on the product, uh, maybe not billing, maybe not down to that level, but CRM data, support data, uh, customer success data does need to get into the product for the product manager to have a better understanding. Hey, is actually customer support helping my product in a way or another? Or is there something that I can tell them on how to do better? And that's what you are telling me. For customer success is the same thing. Data needs 
like product data, billing data, CRM support and everything needs to be available there because it's an ecosystem. Like, again, we go back to the initial definition. What is a customer? Okay. We define the customer. And again, you just mentioned it's critical because if you don't have it well defined, systems won't communicate between them. If you have it well defined and every system understands it, it will be very easy to, to connect them. But yes, you do have the customer data and that's what you want. You want to get customers to success. That's what the product team wants. That's what the support wants. That's what their uh, marketing wants. Everyone wants the same thing. And customer success is just another piece, big piece of a puzzle that tries to, uh, tries to influence that. Any specific setups that you've seen, uh, and feel free to, to name tools here, uh, of any kind of the companies that have this well organized, especially in the, let's say, uh, medium companies to bigger companies. I know bigger companies have access to tools to do this easier. It's actually critical for them to get there, though. We do know a lot of big companies that don't have that. Uh, but, um, yeah, let's, let's see. Can you share any, any interesting setups you've seen, uh, that, uh, that make it easy for people to bring all their data together? Yeah, that's a great point. I think data warehouses are, of course, uh, um, a good starting point. And, um, I would say the minority of companies that we work with have the data in a data warehouse where everything comes together already and you pick what you want and you can distribute this to other tools. So that is typically the definition there. I have product data, I have CRM data, it all goes there and I pick what I need and can reuse that in, in another purpose. That is something I would say most of the SaaS companies do at a quite late stage um, to, to get that far. And that's okay. I wouldn't say that in your scaling or growth uh, phase uh, in the earlier days, you need to have that necessarily. What definitely, uh, so there is no particular tool that I would say is necessary, but a good environment is that if someone in the growth of the company, if someone early on took the decisions, hey, we get our data in order. So this is typically when, for example, the billing tool is connected with the CRM and your own database has already kind of a logging in place and this logging, let's say tracking of major events that happen throughout the product journey uh, that go there. And this data is connected to the billing system and with the CRM data. And you can interconnect them because you have inner trends with the ID 1234 and you have this in your own database and in the CRM, this 1234 is also marked as a unique identifier for inner trends that I can uh, through the APIs, I can basically interconnect them. That's a good start. And that's also what I always recommend when I talk to uh, SaaS founders or people that have data responsibility in SaaS companies. If you are growing and if you are scaling up, get this stuff in order because it will help you later on. For example, when you start uh, building this data warehouse, it will also become handy when you already have these identifiers in place and things are interconnectable. So I wouldn't say there's the tool um, I would say the uh, it's more about how is the data organized in those tools. It doesn't matter if your uh, CRM is Salesforce or HubSpot or Pipedrive, as long as you have these identifiers there, good. It doesn't matter if you use your own database or your own data warehouse to track events and, and save it there, or if you use a mix panel and to track it in a mix panel or an amplitude, for example, to name some uh, tools there. Not so relevant. As long as this information can be later uh, used, it's stored, it can be used later on historically to learn from it. Um, I guess that's kind of more important than the tool itself, in my opinion. 
Yeah, and that's something that we actually approached in a, in a previous episode of our podcast called The Modern Data Stack for Crows. And by, basically, we talk very much in detail in that episode about this. But one thing that we say for companies that are in the growth stage, that they're just starting, and it's not easy for them to set up a warehouse or they don't have the people and the resources to do that. What I always recommend them is have a clear tracking plan. Have a very detailed that's shared across the organization. Have a customer journey metrics map. So the metrics, the KPIs are shared across the organization. So that means whatever tool you implement, you know what data goes in, what metrics and how do I have them aligned with the other tools. And then look for all the tools that make that data back available to you either through data or through APIs because they don't get you locked in and they allow you to communicate with other tools in the future. So whenever you want to put a new tool in the modern data stack, that tool will be able to communicate easily based on those. So yeah, it's as we always say. And don't be shy about spending some money there or spending some time there. Yes, it will take more time in order to get the things right in the beginning, but it's so much easier to do it in the earlier stages of the company than later on. We have companies that postponed this and it, at some point you have to do it and it gets so much more painful the more you wait for for this. So if you don't have this, what you said, like if you don't, if you cannot do this with your own skills within the company, maybe get a consultant or get someone who did this already, spend this money. It's, very, it's really well spent if you get this order in place early on. Yeah, no, uh, definitely. And often for smaller companies, it's a time thing, not a money thing. Like take the time and structure things well. Put, create a document on what is a customer, what is a user, what are the events that we track, how do we track them, what are the properties that we track, how do we track them, have that clearly defined. And once you have that, you will save a lot of money later <laughs> when you'll need to uh, to do things. You already started to, to address this, uh, but yeah, let's go a little bit uh, more in depth. What are the recipes for disaster in a customer success platform implementation? Uh, if you can share some stories, some juicy story stories, we'd love that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I think it starts, first of all, with the commitment, right? So the commitment from uh, as a company, that means typically the top management. So those customer success Platforms, it's typically not a click-click-done implementation. So I have to invest some efforts into making them work well because they are based on the data. And again, we come back to the question, is your data in a very good order? Then it goes very quick and can be a day. Is your data all over the place or you have no tracking whatsoever? Then we first need to talk about, okay, what do we actually track? So we need to kind of go back uh, and understand that. And um, the first issue that we see is um, there's no real commitment from top-level management. Then, so it's not a business priority, let's say. That is the first thing. Because if you don't have this business priority, the customer success team will need to work with the product team at some point in time to get to this data. And even if the data is there, they still will need someone from the product team to send it to the customer success platform or to make this available through the API or in, any, in some sorts like that. So you need the sources in a technical team. If you don't have this, if there's no business priority, then they work on something else and they develop features and they're not available for you. That means you don't have the data. That means you might have CRM data. You might have uh, data from the from the support, but that's not sufficient to build out those health scores and everything we talked about before. So business priority and the commitment from the top level management isn't there is the first thing. And uh, yeah, there were practical examples, of course, where this happened. 
then of course it's just in the beginning is a bit of the chicken egg problem right so i have i want to see results to invest more time in into this implementation of a cs platform but i cannot go there and say i don't invest time before you show me the first results it's not going to work out like this is this is not how this works you have to upfront invest a bit of time to track the major events to have a primary tracking in place, not everything, not the thing, but Pareto principle, right? 20% of your events will probably already give you an 80% insight into the health of a customer there. The other one is what we already talked about it. The data is in multiple systems, but it's not interconnectable. So I have something in the system, but I have no idea what this customer from my billing system actually, how to find that in my CRM. I don't know. I have I can search for the name, but then some of the data isn't there. So data inconsistency, no data or wrong data. So you can pick which is worse, I guess, but uh, they are all quite bad. Also, wrong data, of course, uh, is a problem. So if you have bad data, wrong data leads you to wrong conclusions and you try to judge based on data, which is primarily incorrect, then of course your decisions also will be not the best ones. So I guess those are the things that we see typically that make it hard to get successful with the CS platform. Yeah, especially on the wrong data. I remember a very interesting case we had uh, once at Trends where uh, somebody was analyzing the retention of the people that didn't finish the onboarding process, which you'd expect to be zero. Yeah, like they, they didn't get any value we should have zero retention. And they go and they check that report and it shows 80% retention week after week, like crazy retention. And then we look at it and say, hey, it's not possible. It's either you defined the wrong onboarding process and people use your product for a different reason or something wrong with the data. 99% of the situation is the second. We looked at the data. They had a daily cron that was sending an event in the name of the user saying something that uh, there is no data for that user, like a completely irrelevant event that was being tracked and was... Like if he would put a health score on that event, he would have every customer is completely happy. I'm not making any money uh, situation. But yeah, that's a very clear example of a wrong setup. Thank you very much, Philip. This was really, really great and amazing insights from you and from Castify. One last personal question before we leave. What's the experience you look so much forward to after the pandemic is over? Uh, that's a very good one. I think going to a concert, that would be the, the first thing I'm, I'm hoping to be able to do in the summer. Great one. Well, you are very optimistic and let's all be very optimistic that all of this is going to be over uh, till the summer. And uh, thank you everyone for joining. We'll be back soon with the next episode of the Data-Led Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of the Data-Led Podcast, brought to you by Trends. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. If you were inspired by what you heard, leave a rating and review. We love hearing from you. We can't wait for you to join us on our next episode of the Data-Led Podcast.